Medicare for all. Your bros can suck my balls. Fuck your reply, guys. Please don't fuck your reply, guys. Just listen to Reply Guys. Hello and welcome back to Reply Guys. I am so excited today. Kate and I are both so excited um, to have a an activist and candidate for Congress for Nevada's first district, Amy Villella. Hello. Hi, thanks for having me. Julia has already mentioned my excitement, so I won't cover it again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And Amy was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, the the chair of Bernie Sanders' Nevada uh, campaign. We all remember the... uh, euphoric night that bernie won the nevada caucus and we thought we thought things could be different i think Uh, that was like the happiest night of my political life the the, when bernie won nevada it was just it had very like you know the centrism can suck it kind of energy (laughs) and uh and then it was all downhill after that unfortunately i have to admit i was ugly crying i was so excited especially after the journey that I've had in Nevada up to that point. So it was, it was a wonderful night. New Hampshire was a good one too. That was fun. I was so happy. I feel like I'm talking about my youth now. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, t- tell us a little bit about the, the journey that that had, uh, that you mentioned up until that night. I'd, I'd be interested. I don't, I'm very unfamiliar with, uh, with your state's politics. Um, so I, I would love to hear more about that. Yeah. So, um, my entry into the political realm came in 2015. Um, up to that point, you know, I had been a, uh, I'd been raised in poverty. I had lived a life of struggle and experienced many of the forms of abuse that other women have to go through um, throughout their childhood. I struggled through that and uh, was a, a young uh, teenage mother, uh, eventually became a single mother and worked my way through poverty. You know, I, I believed in that false narrative that if you just work hard enough, right, you're safe. Mm-hmm. And so I worked as much as I could, um, sacrificed a lot of time with my young children, went to college in the evening, and eventually became the first in my family, you know, to get a degree and uh, eventually became a CFO. I really thought I had made it. Like, here I was living this executive lifestyle, I felt my kids, you know, were safe. My daughter, oldest daughter, was in college. My other son was graduating high school. You know, um, I had remarried. Uh, I thought things were just great. Um, And then I experienced in June of 2015 um, the loss of my daughter, Shalyn. And that was uh, a a life-changing moment for me. And Shalyn didn't have to die. Um, and so Shalyn was, uh, you know, 22 years of age. She was going to school, working full time. She decided to move out to live with us at home in Las Vegas to finish her schooling. So she drove the 22 hours from Kansas City out to Las Vegas on a healing knee that she just had surgery on. Um, when she arrived, she was telling me her leg was, look, mom, it's swollen. It's red. You know, this is kind of where Shalyn was telling me right at, right when I first saw her and, and I was like, Oh, Shalyn, you know, my, 
vast medical knowledge as an accountant said, oh, it's probably just because <laughs> you sat on it wrong, you know. Yeah. Um, and I was on the way out for a business meeting. Again, I was in that mindset that this is how you keep your family safe. You know, I was uh, career, career oriented. Um, and so as she was coming in, I was leaving out and I got a phone call. She was at a local ER and she was she was at the administration desk and she's telling me, mom, you know, they're saying that's going to be really expensive. I could leave now and I don't have to pay anything. And I'm like, no, Shalyn, you need to stay. You know, you're you, you're crying, your legs hurting. I mean, she was in excruciating pain. And I'm like, don't worry about the insurance. I'll pay for it. Just be seen. We'll deal with that later. Um, they had her calling up insurance companies or, you know, trying to see if we get her covered under my husband's. Um, we hadn't dealt with this. I mean, she's 22. She just got into town, right? Mm-hmm. The next call I get, she's in the back and she's crying. And she's like, you know, mom, um, they're not helping me. They told, they, you know, I've been begging for something for the pain and for some medical testing. She was specifically asking for an MRI. And she's like, they told me to go get insurance and see a specialist. They went to a doctor's office. And my daughter was black with sickle cell trait. She was on birth control. She was she had a healing ACL tear. She had a red swollen leg. These are all symptoms and risk factors for a blood clot. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so she went home and she started looking up, at, uh, you know, doctors in town to go to specialists. And she applied for um, Medicaid, which in, in Nevada, they have expanded Medicaid. So she did what she was told. But because they didn't do appropriate medical screening and they discriminated against her and violated her EMTALA rights, um, Shalyn got, she booked a plane flight to go back to Kansas City to finalize some paperwork for schooling. And um, the blood clot dislodged. And uh, she ended up dying in my arms from a, a, a you know, massive pulmonary embolism. Mm-hmm. And that that moment on that on that bed, I I cannot tell you that was a life changing moment. That old Amy died with her, mm-hmm. and um, you know I went through about a year of grief, not knowing where what I was going to do or how I was going to deal with this, um, and just dealing with even the grief of losing who I was as a mother, mm-hmm. who I was as a person, because that person no longer exists. And, uh, but it was a couple months after she passed that my husband came running through the house screaming, Bernie's running. And I'm like, who the hell is Bernie? <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, he was an immigrant. My husband's an immigrant from Brazil. And he was explaining to me about this Medicare for all. And he is like, it's, you know, he's telling me about insurance and how other countries it's not through your employer. And I'm like, what do you mean it's not through your employer? <clears throat> so that was my beginning into politics. I never thought that I would ever have a a place in politics because I didn't come from the right pedigree, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't come from the right background. I was a single mom. I'd had financial difficulties. I had filed bankruptcy as a single mom. I had been grown up poor. Like these aren't the people you see in politics, right? Um, They don't have a voice. Uh, And I got more involved in politics and I met the amazing Nina Turner and uh, she heard my story. I was starting an activism at this point at my first ever political event and she's like, Amy, you know, you have all the bones necessary. I don't know if you've ever heard her story about the bones that you need to have. <laughs> but she's like, you know, you have the jawbone to speak, you know, truth. You have the backbone to stand up. You have the wishbone to want more. She's like, what are you going to do about it, Amy? 
are you going to let them make you a victim too? Or are you going to fight? I'm like, I'm going to fight. So this is 2017. I go back to Nevada and um, knew nothing about politics. Again, nothing about, you know, how to be an activist. And I'm like, I'm going to throw my first healthcare rally. And so um, it was the first ever Medicare for all healthcare rally. And I was going and talking to all of the, you know, all of the representatives um, and asking them to uh, co-sponsor Medicare for all. And, and one of them told me that, you know, he would not. He had heard my daughter's story and how they had to pull me away from her coffin. And I was like, I'm going to primary you. So I'm telling you all this background. This is kind of my entry. And at that point, um, at that point, no one was really talking about Medicare for all. I was starting that conversation and trying to use all of the um, the different outlets I could to get that conversation going. Um, and when I this this one particular congressman said that he would not support it, I was like, you know, you're not a public celebrity; you're a public servant. Mm -hmm. I'm going to primary you. So that's you know the 2017 2018 run. And so again, we're talking about Nevada went from not talking about Medicare for all. Um, you know, as we know, Bernie did not win in Nevada in that time frame. We had the whole supposedly chair throwing session that was put all over the media, which didn't happen <laughs> to um, to to my race in 2018. Still, you know, watering those seeds that were planted um, and we continued on organizing and, and growing. I was one of the founding members of DSA out there, mm. um, the Las Vegas DSA. We started growing the different organizations, and then Bernie runs again. So that's kind of the whole, the whole process politically. And even after Bernie, we continued to organize. Um, as you guys can see, there's been a lot of changes in Nevada even since Bernie. Yeah. Right. Well, Amy, I just first of all, I want to say thank you so much uh, for sharing your story with us. Um, and I'm just I'm so, so, so sorry that that happened to your daughter. It's so unfair. It makes me feel so angry. I'm I'm sitting here and I, I find myself tearing up. I also lost someone very close to me um, who I strongly believe would be alive if healthcare were universal. And I understand. I think you know, on a really deep level, what you're saying is like, I, I also died. Like that version of myself doesn't exist anymore. And one thing I, you know, I think about a lot is that I think that, you know, a lot of people conceive of politics as, you know, very unrelated to our actual lives, either because, you know, it doesn't, either because they're they're doing so well that it doesn't matter or they're struggling so much and have been ignored by the political establishment for so long that they can't imagine a politics that would affect their material circumstances at all. And, you know, it, it is like, I think Bernie's run, you know, in both instances started to change that, but it still feels like kind of an uphill battle to get people to see you know, that politics can can make a difference in, you know, our health, our lives, um, our well-being, our safety. Uh, what is your way of, you know, kind of approaching that with people right now who may be feeling really disenchanted or like, yeah, there's, you know, you can make these promises, but, you know, nothing's, nothing's really going to happen. You know, people who, who kind of like, have, have, you know, checked out to a large degree. 
I can empathize. I think anyone who's in, in an activist or fighting for these things, there's moments where we feel like, I mean, how much longer do we have to continue fighting, right? Uh, for me, telling my story over and over again, for everyone else, it's a story. But every time I tell it, it has taken a, a lot out of me. It's reliving it to me. I can smell the smells. I can hear the doubt noises. I can picture her. I envision her. And uh, there's no pain worse than that. And to know that they're, they're passing away unnecessarily, the rage that you feel is, is overwhelming. But here's the thing. We can't just give up because Shalin and, 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 the, and the person you lost, they're not tragedies. They're part of tens of thousands of people that are dying every year. My daughter's not a tragedy. I remember when I heard that statistic, I was like, I fell to my knees. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And, and to add insult to injury, when I started researching about healthcare in the very beginning, and I came across Bernie Sanders in 1993, the year my daughter was born, talking about the unnecessary deaths and the need for universal health care, the rage I felt like, oh my God, they've known about this. They've been talking about it this long and that nothing has changed. But here's the deal. You know, we didn't get women's rights overnight either. Mm-hmm. We didn't win the civil rights war overnight. We're still fighting that on many levels, right? We can't just sit back and say, well, it's too hard. I know when I feel like it's too hard, I think, you know, you know what's harder? It's being 22 and dying. Yeah. Needlessly. That's harder. Um, I'm going to fight not only for this, but for justice on all levels, because they're all intersectional, till my very last breath. Because nothing is harder than losing your life unnecessarily. I think that um, a lot of people in the past year, um, you know, during the pandemic have really woken up to the fact that capital really doesn't care if we die. Like, it's, you know, just like if there can be, you know, five dollars more profit made that will, you know, result in a human being losing their life capital is always going to choose the five dollars you know um especially especially if we're talking about any kind of of marginalized community i remember a a distinct pivot at the beginning of the pandemic when um you know it was kind of the research started to show that um covid disproportionately was killing black and brown people and disproportionately killing low income people and and the elderly the elderly yeah yeah and you could really you could really kind of see that there was a i don't know like like the conversation about ubi during covid was Mm. just completely dropped at that point for example you know um you know it's just (laughs) it's uh it's it's hard, I think, sometimes to to sort of get people to see just like how uh, truly bad it is, especially you know for people who have various forms of privilege, people who you know right. people, white, middle class, upper class, whatever. But you know, it's a. Uh, I, I think that there's more awareness than ever before, like the the way that COVID has been handled, which was not at all um, was you know, I think really really an awakening event for a lot of people. I think what was most disgusting to me was when we saw the the profits of Pfizer and other vaccine companies being discussed 
when we're talking about giving vaccines and releasing the patent so that countries such as India would be able to help produce to save tens of thousands of lives. And not only that, but also stop further mutation of uh, the virus. And we're still talking about profits and the fairness to Pfizer. <laughs> I mean, that to me was disgusting. I completely, I mean, obviously completely agree here. Um, I mean, there's so much about that discussion that has just been, you know, I always think that I can't be shocked by how yeah. bad capitalism is. And yet there are aspects of this discussion that have truly blown my mind. I mean, the fact that, I don't know, just, I, I mean, like, it's it's so short-sighted because let's say you're, you know, you're like a, an America first, you know, yay us like the the if this virus mutates we're gonna be in the same situation there's no guarantee that the vaccine is gonna you know kind of continue to protect against the variants so i mean even from like let's say you're an amoral completely selfish person it's still really incredibly stupid to not yeah care uh if people in in you know the developing worlds and, and any other countries are are getting vaccinated it's i mean i'm ridiculous. i'm an i'm an amoral completely selfish person myself and i think even i think it's stupid yeah uh, little pearl completely <laughs> little pearl is my cat who is a regular contributor to the show uh she is <laughs> amoral and selfish if i've ever if I've ever seen anything amoral and selfish embodied, it's, it's And her. she said, release the patents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, this goes back to even with my, my own experience, you know, what drives me in politics, my driving, you know, uh, morality is that we are only as safe as the most vulnerable amongst us. Right. When, when my daughter passed, you know, I was dual insured. My husband has insurance, like she was 22 years of age. Um, and here's the kicker, um, Shalin did not realize that her insurance didn't stop her last day of her job. So imagine my surprise when I got her COBRA paperwork Oh my gosh. in the mail after her funeral. So again, we can all have, feel like we're safe and we can feel like we're in our own little cocoons and like, I've got mine, but do you? Because yeah. if, if we aren't protecting each other and if we aren't making sure that things are just and that everyone is safe, if you can be the one that falls through the crack, right? Uh, this, this selfish mentality is, is destructive and it doesn't work. Right. And, uh, you know, you, you touched on this earlier, the idea, the like kind of uniquely American uh, notion that if you work hard enough, you'll be safe and you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. um, and we are fed a, a regular diet of that messaging from the time we're born in this country. Um, and I think as a result of that, there are a lot of people who unfortunately have more class solidarity with the people who are... <laughs> far ahead of them financially yeah, uh i talk about this all the time <laughs> class solidarity with elon musk that's yeah. wild yeah. um and instead of realizing the fact that even as a middle class person um as in, for an example you're more you're so much more vulnerable than you think you really are one 
or two, but most likely one kind of life catastrophe away from financial ruin and it's yeah or even if you aren't perhaps someone that you love families yeah um you know or a friend or i don't know i mean it's yeah and so and that is because obviously there are no guardrails in this society there's the social safety net is has been all but eroded completely there is no there's no soft floor to land on. I went to Tennessee recently and I was <laughs> I was talking with some people there and it was wild because I, you know, I talk to liberals all the time in New York and get pretty mad about it. But I was talking <laughs> to people that were like Trump supporters and uh, Trump supporters and libertarians. And they were so like not doing well financially at all. Like one person was like. <laughs> you know somebody who's certainly living on less than thirty thousand dollars a year like you know not but like to to her you know it was like jeff bezos was a guy with a good idea she wants to live in a world where if she has a good idea Mm. that you know there will be uh you know that kind of opportunity for her and you know this is not a new point or anything but i feel like so much of kind of getting people to embrace leftist politics there you know there's who who haven't previously you know kind of been been thinking that way you know one you can have you know some kind of intense personal tragedy as like you and i have both been through or two you can make peace with the fact that no matter what kind of good idea you have you're not going to be Jeff Bezos. That's not available to you. And that's also painful, you know, in a way. Mm -hmm. And I think people kind of like, they're hesitant. Yeah, it's mourning uh, the idea of the American dream. Yes. Which is so central to our ideology uh, in this country. The collective ideology, what we, or like the collective fiction that we tell ourselves. Mm Yeah. and yeah, people do think that they are more likely to be the next Jeff Bezos or the next um, Steve Jobs than they are to have a very real and, as you mentioned, Amy, very common kind of life event uh, that could completely rock their world. Yeah, exactly. I think for me, too, it was like not understanding how politics what role it played in everyday life. Mm -hmm. You know, they have, you know, when you have limited information and you're just watching, you know, media, right, on cable news, and that's your information and your starting point. And, you know, you're busy. They've got us, you know, struggling. You're working multiple jobs just to even make it. And you don't understand that that correlation, right? And it's it's really uh, imperative upon all of us to make sure that we're using every opportunity to talk about it in real ways that people can understand and identify with. Um, And I think that was uh, the appeal of Bernie in a lot of ways, breaking it down, talking about it constantly and explaining it. Right. Um, So that people can understand once you take out the top issues that they like to have us arguing about consistently. And we start talking about class and about 
everyday work, working people and what we're struggling with, there really isn't that much difference. There isn't any difference between the struggles of a Republican working class person and a Democratic working class person. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's very I, here's the point that I'm I'm like kind of most sympathetic to with these people that have the, the kind of like mentality of like, let's not have universal health care, which is just I mean, I don't know. It's just I was I got into the, the debate with with these folks uh, in Tennessee and they were like, you know, I, I, I think I got to the point where I'm like, don't you see how a company making a profit and being in charge of your health care they're going to be very incentivized to not give you the health care that you need because mm-hmm. they make more money that way and companies try to make money. And they're like, I see that, I see that, that makes sense. Well, we would support universal health care if, you know, the government proved that they could, you know, do a good job with something. But, you know, in, you know as there's so much that's like a mess right now that they don't, you know, they've just been unhappy with government for so long that there's no sort of trust that, that something like Medicare for all could, you know, not result in the uh, proverbial uh, death panels and whatnot, or even, <laughs> even on a more, you know, on a less dramatic level, you know, just, you know, that there wouldn't be I don't know that that it would just be the healthcare that people wanted would be available to them. And I guess, you know, how do you talk to people who do have that fear of like, you know, if we are, if we expand government, like, are, are we just, you know, expanding something else that, you know, hasn't, hasn't worked for me for a long time? Well, you know, listen, I'm, I was a CFO. My entire career was, incre- was for increasing the wealth of owners and shareholders, Right. And um, CFO is Chief, Chief Female Fine. Officer, right? <laughs> I like that title better. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we also we also like to call it Girl Boss and Chief. Right. Uh, <laughs> the Chief Financial Officer. Bitch troller. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you yeah. what. Uh, but, you know, what I do know is this. You want to talk about a death panel, let's talk about it. Yeah. You want some great weekend reading? Why don't you look at a hospital's uh, report filing? quarterly filing with the SEC and look at their risk factors and risk assessments and the way that are, we're talked about people's illness and how many people are going to show up uninsured and the risk to their profit. Corporations exist for the sole pers- purpose of increasing the wealth of their shareholders. Okay, that is the purpose of a, corp- of a corporation, of a company. That's, that's accounting 101, right? This is basics, economics 101. Um, that is the reason they exist. And when we start putting those, putting that, you, you know, putting them in charge of things like our life, let's talk about a death panel, a panel. I mean, when we're talking about who's in charge really of your care, it's not really your doctor. No. It's the health insurance company. And it's right. who they've hired, who they've deemed has the appropriate medical background, which is usually nothing. Um, when they're talking about, you know, approving or denying, they're going off a based you know, what they've already set out in their in their policy, what's allowed and not allowed. You know, and it's it's all for the, the almighty dollar. And let, let's let's look at the CEO's salaries and talk about that as well. I mean, and I hear people saying, well, I don't want to have to pay for your insurance. Oh my. How do you think insurance works at any any type of I know. insurance? I mean, hello. It, it, the more people we have, what makes Medicare for all so affordable is that ever, everybody is included, including the healthiest pool of people, right? Everybody is contributing. Everybody's in there. And we're already doing it successfully with Medicare now. 
Medicare operates on a 3%, you know, um, expense rate versus the insurance companies, it's up to 35, sometimes higher percent of operating uh, overhead, right? So when we're talking about these things, uh, you know, if we want to talk outside of the morality of it, which I don't like to do, but a lot of people, you have to go there. When we're outside of the morality, financially, it makes more sense. And for small companies, especially, and for individuals also, it makes a lot of sense. Smaller companies no longer have to go and compete with the bigger guys based on their benefits packages. They can attract more talent to their smaller companies. Unions, how about having to throw away having to start at the bargaining table with health insurance and giving up everything else like a more robust, more robust retirement plan, mm-hmm. longer, uh, you know, uh, vacation plans. And how about let's have maternity leave, paid maternity leave. That would be great in every single union job. But we're stuck arguing health insurance mm-hmm. first, right? You know, yeah. so to me, it's a no brainer um, when we talk about these things. But, you know, it comes down. It's not only just that, but it's also now we have the lobbyists that are working for these hugely profitable companies, both hospitals and insurance companies. And they are also now donating across party lines into all of our elected officials. This is why we can get nothing done. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's definitely been really, um, I mean, expected yet completely disappointing um, that you know we see even the the public option being pretty much abandoned at the federal level right now. There are, there is definitely cool stuff happening in states. Um, even in New York, we have like a, a statewide Medicare for all bill on the table. You know, there's there's been definitely definitely stuff happening at the state level that's that's really cool. But uh, yeah, I mean, the Biden administration, you know, they're pretty much. I mean, I guess we have these, uh, you know, these um, additional sort of subsidies for people right now, which is which is good, you know, for people who are buying healthcare on the marketplace. I mean, like I'm, you know, I'm in favor of anything that makes people's lives better even if it's not the the ultimate the ultimate thing you know but it's it's, it is just it's it's really frustrating because it's like where do we where do we go from here when at a federal level we have these people being like yeah we're not even gonna have the public option you know the the sort of like the traction that bernie sanders built and all the people who you know supported that movement like it, it it's it was easy at that time, I think, really to feel strongly like, oh, well, you know, public opinion is you know, really changing. But I don't see any mass outrage that, you know, like even the public option has been abandoned. Um, what are your thoughts on how to go forward here? We can't stop organizing. Organizing is extremely important. When we're talking about um, what, what we really should be looking for in someone that is uh, running to be in Congress, we need, some, we need fighters. You know, um, I plan on using every tool at my disposal and working tirelessly around the clock to fight and organize for things like Medicare for all, for the environment, you know, for immigrant rights. Um, and all of these things are intersectional. We have huge disparities and we have to be fighting for it and organizing nonstop, not just on the floor in Washington, D.C., but also actively at home. And I think right now people are kind of, all of us are, including myself, I'm very relieved 
that Trump is out of office. Um, mm-hmm. Extremely relieved, but that sh- we shouldn't replace like let that replace our energy that we had before he when he was in office with complacency. Now, like okay, w- at least this is a little bit better. Yeah, no, we have to keep pushing, and we have to push the president. We have to push all of anyone, all of our 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 representatives. That's our job. We have to keep pushing and screaming loudly at the top of our lungs. We're not going to sit back and let this happen. We're going, we're demanding that you start taking action. I I agree with you. I think one thing that is, you know, a challenge of organizing under the Biden administration that, you know, I, I think, you know, needs to, to kind of be contended with is that, you know, we just, we, we were just in, in the kind of, you know, biggest period of government spending, you know, in a long, long time. And people are, I think, a little bit happier with, with government now. And I think that like messaging, okay, well, like, you know, you see that like, actually it really helps to, to get some checks here. Um, it really helps to get a free vaccine and like using Mm -hmm. that to actually, you know, convince people that, uh, getting free stuff, it actually rules, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Well, I push back on saying it's free because, you know, we pay for it. Yeah. Yes, I know. It's I'm our kinda, money. I'm kind of joking, but yes. yeah. <laughs> I hear you. But it's like, I, that, I hear that a lot, you know, oh, we're getting all this free stuff. And it's like, no, this is how, this is how it works. We pay into to make sure that we have a society that takes care of us. You know, um, yeah. instead of giving huge tax breaks and, and corporate welfare, how about actually taking care of the people? Well, that's that's the point exactly is, you know, the, the people who say, I don't want to pay for someone else's health care. I don't want to pay for someone else's ex. We're already doing that for the richest people in this country. Um, we are already subsidizing people who do not need to be subsidized whatsoever so that they can continue to um Post, you know, like Elon Musk. Yeah, like Elon Musk. Uh, so they can host Saturday, Saturday, Saturday Night Live. Um, <laughs> and well, even at, if you look at it, yeah, I'm sorry. Even if you no, look at a company like Amazon, how much are they contributing to, you know, our, our environmental issues here in the United States with trucks, with the use of all? I mean, like a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Paying zero in taxes. And when we talk about things like a green new deal, we don't have money for that, but we don't, we, we don't need to take any taxes from the, you know, from, from the, the rich, from the most, the most profitable company in the world. Exactly. Um, and that is, you know, to Kate's point, that is something that I don't know. Like we all know it is common knowledge that Amazon pays $0 in federal taxes. How is that not infuriating to people in uh, you know uh you know the the trump supporters or the republicans who are worried about uh you know other people living off the dole no one is living (laughs) off the dole more than amazon exactly and he's contributing they're, they're contributing um to our environmental issues in this country um, and they are not paying a livable wage, um, you know, and you're still not having to pay any taxes. And they only keep getting bigger. They keep acquiring more companies and a, a larger market share of 
the entire market, not just uh, their corner. They just acquired uh, this movie studio, MGM. Mm-hmm. They're st- I just saw that they're starting a pilot program of hair salons in, uh, in London that is expected to expand. It, there is no corner of the world or even Amazon... space yeah. <laughs> even space literally space yeah. literally space jeff bezos can go to space if he wants i don't i, I as long as we can distri- redistribute his wealth while he's gone <laughs> that's what i plan to do um but just to uh, the way that you were speaking about your own district um and your state earlier, it kind of seems that, uh, you know, public opinion in Nevada is is tracking more or less with American public opinion um, writ large. Uh, and we've seen, you know, I think growing up, I, I wouldn't have thought of Nevada as a as a blue state, um, but we know now that it is and that you know there is well, not a, entirely right isn't it kind of like purple yeah uh but there is also a, a great tradition of kind of fairly famous uh liberal uh representatives and senators uh senator harry reed was uh was representative of of Nevada one, which is is the seat that you're running for. Um, not that he is a you know leftist ally by any means, but uh, how have you seen your state change in the past ten or fifteen years? Well, you know, the district I am running for is in the heart of Las Vegas, mm-hmm. and we are the fastest growing and the fastest warming city in the country. I mean, we are facing right now that we're gonna be running out of water. Lake Mead is at historically low levels, right? We're feeling the effects of the global warming right now. We also have the highest undocumented population per capita in the country. And of course they were left out of any of the COVID relief. Um, and you know, the, working, the, the, the state is really a working class state um, an economy our economy was hit the hardest in the country on top of a, a, a housing crisis. And none of our representatives were anywhere to be seen. Um, they're not fighting for the bold solutions that we need to address the problems that we're facing. And they're really intent on passing you know, half measures if they're passing anything at all. Mm. And the constituents in, 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 uh, in, in, this, in the district I'm running for, as well as across the state, were pushing back. And, you know, we are fighting to make sure that we are moving towards uh, protecting our environment. We're, make, we're fighting back on, uh, they have a Clark County lands bill right now, which is in uh, the Senate, which is the Southern Nevada Economic Development and Conservation Act. We're trying to fight back against that. They're trying to add, um, you know, the size of Washington, D.C., to Las Vegas and create more urban sprawl, which is going to disproportionately affect our black and brown communities in Las Vegas, right? Our people that are most vulnerable. Um, we're fighting back and trying to get, uh, you know, get them to listen on uh, the, the housing issue and especially how it, again, disproportionately affects 
the black and brown communities in, in Las Vegas um, and our immigrant community. Again, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not enough just to say I'm with you on these issues. We need to have people fighting for them. And we should have been, especially where we are, almost last in healthcare, almost last in schooling. We have the, the, the lowest amount of affordable housing um, in the country and the highest undocumented population per capita and I, we need to have fighters are out there, you know, using every tool at their disposal and using their platform to talk about these issues because they're not only, you know, specific to Nevada, but also the nation as a whole. And our leaders have been nowhere, have been nowhere to be found. They, they have not been present. Um, I know when I was on the ground during COVID, um, I was out there, you know, making masks, hundreds of masks for a frontline, you know, um, uh, nurses and, and healthcare workers. Um, I was out there, you know, organizing with DSA for um, getting food drives. Uh, both, uh, we fed, I think it was over 5,000 people that we actually were able to get food to. And again, the, the common thing I kept on hearing is that our representatives are nowhere to be found. Yeah. And asking me to run. And people have changed. We have a huge, um, insurgents of organizing. It hasn't stopped since Bernie. We've continued and grown um, that organizing on the ground. You know, we're we're fed up and we're ready to to fight back and make sure that we have leaders who represent the actual needs of Nevada. That's so exciting. That's such that's so encouraging to hear. I think that that's like a happy and optimistic note to to leave it on, um, which is rare but good. <laughs> we, we don't we don't find that too much. But um, so, Amy, before we go, can you tell us how people can support your campaign? Whether it's through volunteering, donating, making phone calls, um, give us the info. Well, right now, fundraising is the most important thing in the campaign. Um, our first fundraising deadline is at the end of the month. Um, because of the, uh, the state of affairs politically in Nevada, with us um, just taking over the, the state party and the local party as well, uh, Clark County Party, I mean, all eyes are on this race. Um, I know that we will win this, but we need everyone's support. Um, we are a 100% grassroots. I'm not taking a dime from any corporate uh, interest. And again, you know, the most single thing that people can do is invest now. That those early investments is what makes a campaign really have a good, uh, good fighting chance going into the, the the end part of the campaign. So if they could, we'd love to have them um, invest in our campaign. Um, you can go to Amy. Vegas slash reply guys um and again we'd love to have your support and if you'd like more information about the campaign you can go to amyvilela.com and i'll spell it because i know it's a little difficult <laughs> so it's a m y v as in victor i l e l a.com awesome Amy, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you, and we wish you the absolute best of luck in your race. Please, folks who are listening, support Amy's campaign. Thank you so much. It was great. Thanks, Thanks Amy. Thank you so much for listening to Reply Guys. 
If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash reply guys, where we have a catalog of over 25 bonus interviews with renowned writers, journalists, and comedians with an additional episode uploaded each week. The show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Fremgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at OJuliaTweets, OHJuliaTweets. And Twitter is where you can, of course, also find our reply guys. They are always with us. Bernie, take us out. walking that ribbon of highway I saw above me that endless skyway I saw below me that golden valley this land was made for you and me this land is your land this land is my land